0: This is Salmon Folk Radio. Welcome to episode two, and as promised in the first episode with my interview with Chef Taylor, um, this one is going to be entering into the travelogue portion of this whole experience around learning about salmon farming and all the different ramifications that come with it internationally and how it connects all of us. And I want to start by telling the story of how I ended up getting drawn into this world because believe me, it was not ever on my plate no pun intended to get drawn into this world of salmon farming and learning about indigenous cultures and wild salmon extinction levels, etc. I was just a peaceful person, minding my business in Carborough, North Carolina. I was a single parent raising kids. I was working in a retail establishment, selling outdoor gear on the side. I had sort of a fledgling videographer, part-time documentary filmmaker, but not ever making money at that. That's basically what my life was like. And then everything changed. And here's the thing, if I just start telling this story, just continuing what I'm doing right now, it'll take me two hours just to get out how I got to the starting point. So I realized what I really wanted so I was like, man, if I could just sit down with someone and have them interview me, they could help me narrow down and really get it concise, like, okay, just get to the meat of the matter, Charlie. So then I realized, hey, somebody did that already. So I'm going to go ahead and jump right into that with no more introduction. And uh, sure, you have questions right now, but I think this next interview will help solve all the questions as it goes on. And basically, I'm using this interview as a way to sort of introduce all the main reasons that I was drawn to travel to British Columbia. I will just give one bit of preface, which is the interview is with Adam Olson. He is a member of the Legislative Assembly. He's part of the B.C. Green Party. He met with me on my final day on Vancouver Island like literally the last day I was going to be there I went to interview him and as soon as I entered his office he flipped the tables on me and he said Charlie I've got a microphone set up over here I've got my video camera over here and guess what I'm going to interview you first and I'm sure it's important to note that I am recording this and putting this podcast episode together on June 2nd of 2021 And what we're about to launch into is we're going to climb into the Wayback Machine, and Adam Olson will be interviewing me in the first week of August of 2018, so we're going back quite a ways.
1: Okay, so uh, we're live. Good morning, my name is Adam Olson. I am the MLA for Saanich North and the Islands, and today is BC Day. I decided to go live today today because I've got a very special guest with me uh, this morning. Uh, His name is Charlie Morris, and he has come all the way from Carborough, Mm -hmm. North Carolina, to uh, capture a story that has intrigued him and drawn him out west to Western Canada, or as they know in the United States, the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Aquaculture and fish farms and basically the ongoing fish farm debate in the Pacific Northwest The debate that Washington State has dealt with and that British Columbia remains uh, an outlier on the West Coast and and we continue to have fish farms. But Charlie has uh, been in contact with me uh, over the last number of months and we've been communicating as he's been communicating with a lot of people on the coast here. And uh, he's now here in British Columbia. And so, Charlie Morris, welcome uh, into my office. Welcome here to the West Coast. Welcome to Sandwich North and the Islands. Thank you. It's uh, good to be here. So, tell me a little bit about Charlie Morris. Who are you? What? Well, let's start with who are you.
0: <laughs> ah, Just a simple uh, question. Well, yeah, the easy answer to that is honestly, I'm I'm a dad. Fundamentally, that that's always my first answer. I've got two great kids, and that's actually the reason why I do the other thing that I do, which is make films, because I want to. I want them to grow up in a better world than we currently have. And I want their kids to grow up in a better world than we currently have. So that's my main motivation. So I just feel like filmmaking is a good way to tackle a lot of issues that
1: are happening. You're here uh, to to do a documentary about fish farms uh, and, and aquaculture. And that's how, how we got connected. You're here following a uh, Norwegian philosopher, uh-huh. uh, author, uh, whose book I... Admittedly, I haven't quite finished yet, but I'm working <laughs> through "Being Salmon, Being Human." A gentleman by the name of Martin Lee Mueller, and I highly recommend uh, getting that book. Uh, but you're here to follow them, and 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 Martin has a completely different uh, way of viewing the relationship between humans and being and, and animals, yeah, uh, or and actually, not even animals, everything else, yeah. So it'll be an interesting. Uh, I'm sure it's an interesting tour. But what drew you to fish farming on the West coast of North America, being that
0: you're from North Carolina, which is literally the other side of our world. So I was working in an outdoor gear shop and uh, selling outdoor equipment. And a guy came in and said, I need super thick socks because I'm going to Labrador Island to meet with, you know, the kind of the first nations folks up there. And I said, why? And he goes, their fisheries are collapsing from climate change and they don't have the ice any longer. And the suicide rates are the highest of any group anywhere. And I was like, how does suicide relate to collapsing fisheries? I don't, I don't get what you're saying. And he was like, well, let's go have a beer. I'll tell you all about it. So we're going to take a short break from the interview with Adam and go back to February 2017, which is when I first met Eric McDuffie in that sock aisle at the outdoor gear shop. I ended up meeting a number of times with Eric before I really had explored much of the issue about salmon at all. Eric helped me lay the groundwork for approaching the salmon work in, I would say, a more open-minded way and ways that I wouldn't have expected to. We... At one point, went out in a boat. He is a fly fisherman, a very avid fly fisherman. I'm just going to let him take it from here. But in this next segment, just to let you know, you know, it was just me and a GoPro and a couple mics, and I really had no idea what I was doing. We were just in a boat, talking shop, and I had invited him to sort of give me a download of how he saw the natural world and why fish seemed so important to him. So here's that segment
2: my grandfather was my stable figure, you know, he was my best friend, my grandfather, my real father, all in one person. And so it was on these waters that he taught me the values of life, how to, how to live, how to think about life, how to look at the beauty of nature and the connections that we have. And this thing right here, this fly rod right here is the first fishing rod that I ever owned. It was given to me on my third birthday. <laughs> and it came from Sears and Roebuck, which is now possibly going bankrupt. Yeah. And, and, and I had JB redo this rod for me and up for granddaddy. So on April 3rd, I'll be 53. So this rod will be 50 years old. I'll, and I'm not, I'm not boasting here, but I have easily caught over 100,000 fish on this rod. There's so many lessons to be learned out here with fly fishing just like anything. Hiking, photography, but nature has something more to give than I think activities indoors do and that's what you're hearing. These birds, the trees. I mean we're, we're on a perfect day today and there's no wind blowing. Looking at the reflections of these beautiful fall trees in the water, it allows your mind to slow down at the same pace that an old fiberglass fly rod can put you in. And that goes back to the spiritual side of what I'm studying, which is spiritual ecology. And this guy who I'm studying under, he's not with us anymore, his name is Thomas Berry. And he started out as a Catholic priest around World War II. So he literally traveled the world for several decades um, and ended up a lot of his studies over in Asia and studied um, Buddhism, Taoism, uh, Hinduism, all the Eastern religions. He also studied many, many, as many as he could of the indigenous culture's religions, the native people's religions. Thomas Berry took this idea or his way of thinking about God and spiritual and religion, and then he started to think about ecology and how humans were destroying the planet, why it was happening, how it was happening, and by being informed through all of these world religions, he understood that what we were doing was for ourselves. And so he started to think of the world very subjectively instead of objectively. His thought was if we can see the world as a communion of subjects and not a collection of objects, we would be in such a different place in this world. So I want to become part of this new story of Thomas Berry. I want to take these philosophical thought processes and turn it into a practice. I believe in order to affect change, we all have to have a passion, first of all, and my passion is fly fishing. So if, I've got to, if I'm gonna to get to know this stuff, look at how I'm connecting to it. I've got a fly rod in my hand with a fly on the water fly line a fly sitting there that's all connected to this place. If, a, if an insect falls off of that tree and falls in the water and I see a fish go after it, well, wait a minute, I want to catch that fish. I'm going to go over here and throw it under this tree branch <laughs> and hope that it hits it. And boom, I've got it. And now I'm going to pull it in and I'm going to hold this fish in my, in my hand and I'm going to say thank you for, for the time that you and I got to connect. I know you didn't like the way we connected, (laughs) but I promise I'm going to take care of you and I want to see you up close. I want to see the beauty of who you are so that when I need to understand you better, I know how to understand you better. And now I'm going to release you and say goodbye and know that you and me are now part of each other. Hmm. And that is where the connection comes. Because you don't forget those fish. You don't forget those fish. That's where the depth of connection comes in where communion of subjects And that's my small way of trying to find a way to contribute back to the world by teaching people the importance of this connection. That is the experiential knowledge that these kids need today so that they can grow up as adults and become informed of what the beauty really is. And that's the beauty we have to take care of, because that is the beauty that's taking care of us. And that becomes a mutually enhancing way of knowing
0: I hope you like that segment with Eric out in the bass boat it's definitely fun for me to reflect on how much conversations with him change my perspective about things and now we're going to go jump right back into the interview with Adam Olson and so we talked and and I was the guy before that meeting where, to me, to be blunt, a fish was a fish. does a fish? Why does a fish have value? I never thought about it. Hmm. And I'm embarrassed to admit that, but fish were just fish to me at that point. And he kind of leaned me in a different direction. And he's like, well, look, this is like their religion. This is it's hmm. a community to them. They're losing everything when they lose their fish. It's not just food. That's the first time I had that idea that it's not just food. It's, um, it's two communities relating to each other. As Martin Lee Mueller would say, the humans and the other-than-human persons. Um, and then what happened is somehow a Swanson Occupation Facebook posting popped up on my Facebook feed, and I was like, oh, well, who is this guy? And it was Ernest Alfred, and he's like, I'm camping on the fish farm platform. I'm not leaving till they're gone. Chief Ernest Alfred originally moved onto Swanson Island fishing farm platform August twenty fourth of two
3: thousand seventeen. <laughs>
0: This clip is from the Swanson Occupations Facebook page, which is where I first saw the videos. What you would see if you were watching the video are two fairly small fishing craft and First Nations leaders dressed in full regalia with their arms spread wide, dancing on the bow of the boat, singing. There's two of them, one on each boat, slowly approaching where... Chief Ernest Alfred is standing on the Swanson Island fish farm platform. He's also singing in response. The chiefs are there to show their support for the Swanson Island occupation that Chief Ernest Alfred and I think one or two others have undertaken. Ernest Alfred ends up, again, with the help of others, they just basically build a small little like plastic sheet and wood frame structure on this fishing farm platform, just right out there in the open water. Now, this is in a part of the world where, sure, maybe the weather's nice in the summertime. But at the northern end of Vancouver Island in the Broughton Archipelago, winters are rough. And Chief Ernest Alfred and others stayed on the platform and then later moved on to a small cabin. And here's another video that really sums up the situation in Chief Ernest Alfred's own words. He's standing on the platform and it is September 19th, and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police have arrived onto the platform, and they have a conversation. You
3: guys are doing a- I imagine uh, Marine Harvest gave you a call. Oh, uh, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. yeah. Uh, are you guys sticking around for a while? Or- absolutely. Are you? Uh, absolutely. Okay. How long is your uh, anticipated time? Uh, well, uh, until, until these farms are gone. Oh, for a while then. Uh, quite a while. Okay. Um, but I, I've already talked to uh, Eric here, who who's been very nice, and uh, there's them, um, and we're getting getting comfortable with one another because we, we plan to stay. Um, <laughs> you're well aware of what's going on here. Oh, I. There's a dead fish right there. Okay. And so that dead fish there is, is it, whatever it's died of or whatever it's sick with is just pouring out into what is my traditional territory here. So. Uh, in our view, um, marine Harvest are the trespassers. They've never consulted our people uh, for the for yeah. this uh, site, so it's a legal thing, and and that that, that yeah, our you guys for sure. our leaderships need to sit down and actually start talking about how they're going to remove these because uh, we won't stand for it anymore. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, we just want to make sure everybody's getting along, essentially. So. We're good friends, here. Yeah. Awesome. So far, so good, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, Alright guys, you take care. Are you sure we're gonna make some dinner here? We've got some fresh oh no. Oh you got your times and everything too? Oh yeah. Awesome. Good stuff. Okay, guys. Take care. Have a good day. Enjoy
0: There are so few people who are willing to move onto a fish farm platform that belongs to a Norwegian billion-dollar company and say, I'm not leaving until you guys do, I just thought, this is something, this is something wild, this is different, and this is the way it should be done. People need that kind of conviction. And so I was just immediately immersed in this other world that I had no idea about. I didn't even know where Vancouver Island was. I wanted to help their movement because they were putting out a lot of video content and at that time, I was thinking like a documentary filmmaker. And so I was like, well, they're putting out lots of short videos, but wouldn't it be interesting if someone put all of these small videos together into like a 30-minute documentary or something like that? So I reached out to Chief Ernest Alfred about a month into the occupation via Facebook. And the group wrote back to me and they were like, yeah, let's talk. And so suddenly I found myself on the phone with Chief Ernest Alfred and it was just, Again, it was so mind-blowing for me just to talk to this person who was so brave and outspoken and unflinchingly committed. And and anyway, it turned out that Sea Shepherd was already on the scene, and they were actually working a lot with the video content. And honestly, the more I looked at their video content, for all of it, I just had to admit, these folks don't need any help. They're doing fantastic on their own. Even though I wasn't going to be able to help them with their documentary stuff, I thought after a while, okay, but I have to go meet with these people and make a documentary. I, I need to see this firsthand. And so Chief Ernest Alfred agreed to meet with me. He said I could come out to Swanson Island, and he would sit down and, and give me some time. And so I was thrilled. And again, that was a big part of the reason why I went there. So anyway, okay, back to the interview with Adam. That was the original inspiration. Was Ernest Alfred? He was a firebrand. I mean, still is a firebrand. And I just started watching everything mm. that he was putting out. And I messaged him, and I said, "I'm a documentary filmmaker. You're way too far away, but if you shoot video, maybe I can help package it and put it into something." Mm. That never materialized. But we talked on the phone, and um, he was super nice. And this is probably two and a half months or so after he started. And then, of course, later he got moved onto the island. Um, but then through him, I learned about Alexandra Morton. Alexandra Morton is a name you will see a lot on the Facebook page for Swanson Occupation. And so I started researching her and I was like, wow, this is like the person that's providing all the science that's backing all of this up. And one of the first videos I saw from Alexandra Morton was called Racing a Virus, a short documentary that she'd put together highlighting some of the science that she'd been uncovering. And with her permission, I'm going to play a few selected clips from this short documentary. Take a listen.
4: We are racing a virus, and the government gave it a head start. Salmon farming came to Canada from Norway in 1986. Now, 30 years later, over 100 Atlantic salmon farms are sited on the coast of British Columbia, and we find our wild salmon are in collapse. The inherent problem with crowding millions of animals into feedlots is that diseases flourish. Since only nets separate millions of farmed Atlantic salmon from wild salmon, diseases are flowing freely into the wild salmon migration routes. This is a story of one of the biggest industry cover-ups of our time, with a virus at the heart of it. My name is Alexandra Morton. I have published 26 scientific papers on the impact of salmon farming in B.C., and this is when I began testing for piscine riovirus. I co-published the first scientific paper on this virus in B.C., presenting the evidence that it was from Norway, and Norwegian scientists agreed. Other government scientists and the Norwegian salmon farming giant Marine Harvest disagreed. This is how piscine riovirus was never classified as a disease agent in Canada, despite the classic symptoms of HSMI in B.C. farm salmon. Canadian law prohibits transfer of fish infected with a disease agent into the ocean. Therefore, to legally farm salmon in BC, piscine riovirus would have to be classified as harmless, which is exactly what the government industry papers tried to do. I sued the Minister of Fisheries for not screening for piscine riovirus and won. However, Minister Fisheries Dominique LeBlanc refuses to comply with this court order. So I sued him again. This time, the industry teamed up with LeBlanc in court to fight the law revealing that they would be severely impacted because the majority of their fish are infected with piscine riovirus. As this court case grinds into its fifth year, infected farm salmon continue to pour into BC salmon farms. In 2017, I published that wild salmon exposed to salmon farms are far more infected than salmon distant from salmon farms. Of greatest concern, wild salmon infected with piscine riovirus appear to be too weak to swim upriver to spawn. Here in B.C., First Nations have been occupying salmon farms for six months, demanding they be removed. With the clock ticking towards extinction of B.C. wild salmon, we're racing a virus, and the government gave it the head start. This is the last stand for wild salmon. Now you know why.
0: And just for clarity, Marine Harvest is the Norwegian company that operates a lot of different salmon farms in the area where Alexandra Morton lives. They have since changed their names since this original documentary that she made to Maui. And just for some perspective, the platform that Ernest Alfred moved onto from the clip I played earlier where he was talking to the RCMP, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, that fish farm platform was owned by Marine Harvest. So Ernest Alfred and Alexandra Morton... They literally live in the same neighborhood. It's just a short ferry ride from where Alexander Morton lives to where Ernest Alfred lives. And I strongly encourage you to go check out the full video. I'll have a link in the description for this podcast. But if you're feeling like you just want to get straight to it, just Google racing a virus and the word Morton, which is Alexander's last name, and it'll take you straight to the video. So they really have this movement that has both Sides equally. You know, they have the sciencey, environmental specific perspective. And then there's this amazing other side with the indigenous connections and people who literally understand how to respect the land and the water and the creatures. So I thought, wow, this is just so different than anything I've seen before. And so Alexandra was more loosely agreeable. She was like, look, I'm really busy. Um, If you come all the way up here, maybe we can make something work out. And I thought, that's good enough. I do want to mention, though, this was all back in 2017, as I prepared to try to go there in 2018. But what I want to talk about happening right now is that Alexandra Morton has written a book. It was just recently published, and it's called Not On My Watch. And I believe it is currently on Canada's bestseller list. And I have read this book. It's just such an unbelievable read. I recommend this book to anyone, especially those who love to see the science side about what's going on with fish farms. I mean, it's not just a story about science, though. It's a story about an individual's constant pursuit of the truth about what is killing wild salmon. And all the connections that wild salmon have with other creatures, ecosystems, human beings. She follows all the leads all the way back to Norway. And it is just an absolutely heartbreaking, shocking, true story. Anyway, back to the rest of the interview with Adam. I eventually found my way to you. And so I was just like, man, I have to make it to Vancouver Island the idea really grabbed a hold of me more than I grabbed a hold of it. I just realized then maybe if I bring my camera as I'm discovering what this Fuller story is, maybe it might interest other people because I definitely feel like if the masses don't get involved with this kind of information about what's happening to wild salmon and what's happening to indigenous peoples, then to be blunt, well, I won't, I won't use the words I was just thinking, but we're in trouble. We're in even worse trouble than we are. These these populations cannot continue to be treated the way they've been treated. Mm-hmm. And I really see them as the same indigenous peoples who understand the value of these relationships. If we let that wisdom fall away, well, that's why we're in the situation and because that wisdom was suppressed. And if the fish go away, especially keystone species like salmon, then every, we all just suffer when these things are not supported. So there's a quote at the beginning And and again, I won't be quoting later
1: in the book. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) but I'll I'll quote. There's a quote right at the very beginning, which is, uh, which is really I think comes to understand. We we come to understand our current modern relationship with the world around us. You know, it was about the relationship between the, the 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 Norwegian economist professor. Yes. And do you, you remember the one which was basically, if the wild salmon are getting in our way, then we've got to be saying, uh, getting in the way of the fish farming industry, then we best be saying goodbye yeah. to the wild salmon. Yes. And it was just this shocking thing for me to read that there would be this this philosophy or this approach out there that it would be okay to say that we you know, would say goodbye to what was natural yeah. and replace it with... These industrial net pen fish farms, uh, because it's about profit, it's about biomass, it's about uh, something other than being human and we're forcing ourselves to relate to the natural world around us. Yeah, yeah. We just change it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it, insane. It, like I was, you know, it, it is insane. I mean, I don't know that there's much more that can be said
0: about that, other than the fact that. It's an overwhelming thing for a person to say. And it's still an overwhelming concept even for me. And, and where we've gone places, so you know, I've been on tour with Martin and Tora Geyer and Georgian as they've been doing this performance and also just talking to people everywhere. All right, so things are getting pretty exciting, right? We're really getting into the meat and potatoes of the introduction in terms of getting everyone's name out and in public view. So Martin Lee Mueller, Tora Geyer and Georgiana Keeble. Those were a group of people that I was touring with on Vancouver Island for my entire time that I was there. And here's how that came about. After I had been watching these Alexander Morton videos, but even more so the Ernest Alfred videos, I sent a link to my buddy Eric McDuffie, the fly fisherman. And I said, hey, you should check this out. And he checked it out and he was like, let's talk. And so we went out to dinner And I said, hey, I am thinking of going up there to film and meet with Chief Ernest Alfred. And he said, oh my God, Charlie, look, I respect what you're doing, but you have to get educated. You have to learn more about this bigger picture here. And I said, okay, well, what do you recommend? And he said, you have to read the book, Being Salmon, Being Human by Martin Lee Mueller. And so I bought the book that night, and I read the book as soon as it arrived. I just raced through it. I highlighted probably 70% of this book. Whew, gosh, how can I even describe this book? Um, man, all I can say is this book changed my life. Martin made me think about nature completely differently yet again. And a lot of what he's saying felt like the reality that Ernest Alfred and other people in that part of the world were actively living. But again, something I didn't know how to connect with. Part of what Martin does in his book is he writes part of the story from the perspective of a salmon, a wild salmon. And then he also throws in lots of great science and philosophy. Strangely enough, he also talks a lot about Thomas Berry, which is how it connects back to Eric McDuffie. Eric used this book a lot As he worked on his dissertation. I reached out to Martin Lee Mueller's publisher and I said, I really want to talk to this author. And they said, okay, we'll hook this up. And so I got an email from Martin, and he's kind of like, Uh, hey, what's up? And I said, Look, you're gonna think I'm crazy, but here's what I'm working on, and I think I'm gonna make a documentary, and I really wanna meet with you somehow and have you be a part of this documentary. And he wrote back and said, you do sound kind of crazy, but I'm willing to talk to you. Let's set up a Skype meeting and see what unfolds. So he was living in Oslo, Norway at the time. Luckily for me, he was a fluent English speaker. Um, And so we hit it off, everything went great. And so here's what happened in the meantime. I was talking to Martin. I didn't know how I would make it to Norway, but I was full steam ahead to go to Vancouver Island in May of 2018 to meet with Ernest Alfred and Alexander Morton. What happened is that on Mother's Day of May, 2018, I think two days before I was supposed to get on the plane, after I had done a GoFundMe fundraiser and raised $2,500 to, you know, rent cameras, buy stuff I needed, get my airfare covered, handle my rental car. After I had done all that, my mom got Pulmonary embolisms and was rushed to the hospital. And I decided to cancel my trip until she was totally in the clear. When I tried to reschedule to go back, everything with the Swanson occupation had changed. It changed enough that the interview, as we had been discussing it, was no longer feasible. So I really felt like I don't know how this will work anymore. Then what happened is I was talking to Martin. And he said, okay, so you love the book? And I was like, yes, I love the book. And he said, well, you'll really like the performance based on the book.
4: When grandmother Tiktaalik first dragged her fishy body out of the water and onto the land.
0: So it turned out that Martin Lee Mueller, the author, and a Norwegian storyteller, also from Oslo, named Georgiana Kiebel. And another storyteller, also based in Norway, Teril Bryn, and a famous Joik voice artist, Torgair Vosvik, who was also an indigenous Sami and living in Oslo, Norway as well. They all got together and developed a script for a live stage performance called Being Salmon, Being Human, based on the book.
4: And we too have the ocean in our blood. Oh.
0: just so happened, as Martin told me, that they were planning a tour for seven to eight days on Vancouver Island. And then, as it turned out, I was invited to go with them, where I would travel around sort of as an embedded photojournalist or documentary filmmaker or any, all of the above. Basically, I would be traveling with them, trying to capture the story about what they were doing, and hoping to meet with indigenous folks and other scientists and activists along the way. As they did this performance, I hoped people will come out to see the show and I'll get to meet with interesting people. And so anyway, that is how, in August of 2018, once my mother had recovered from her pulmonary embolisms, I was finally, finally able to make my way to Vancouver Island roughly one year after Ernest Alfred, began his occupation of Swanson Island. And if you haven't heard it enough already, and now back to the interview with Adam Olson. Martin uses that quote mostly when he talks to people, he leads sort of with that. And every time I hear it again, I'm just like, I just can't believe that some of us are at a point where we're willing to say, yeah, if it's, if it's nature or, or more money, I think normally what the paradigm is, is, well, it's unfortunate that the animals are suffering because we need to make the money. But in this case, the person saying specifically, let's just get rid of wild salmon so we can make the money. And that's more, yeah. that's more direct. Just straight up. And shocking.
4: You know, yeah. he,
1: saying, articulating out loud what maybe, uh,
0: you know, uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: some are thinking. Yeah. But don't have the courage to just come right out. Yeah. And say, well, then it's time for us just to.
0: I mean, it would be better if they're all gone. And see, where this comes for me, that statement, and the reason why I'm really trying to also bring in indigenous voices and perspectives into this series is because when I read that, what I actually hear is a person in power saying, we want to live here. And if indigenous peoples are in our way, you see where I'm going? Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, "These these two communities have been treated identically. And these two communities are inextricably connected and have been for 10,000 plus years. And so I'm like, I'm not sure how I'm going to capture this story, but that's what I'm going to set out to do.
1: I'm uh, part Saanich. My father's uh, side of my family is Coast Salish Saanich and uh, the people across the Salish Sea that uh, Martin connected with to tell the story, Mm -hmm. the stories that... um, uh, my uncle uh John Elliot Stacliff mm, right. tells about the relationship between uh humans and fish or humans and, and the natural world um the the story that Martin Lee Mueller from Norway is telling about the relationship that we have uh and and how we've basically gone astray in yeah. in our in our assumption that uh we are brilliant and everything else is <laughs> That's the stupid a good way to say it. Right? You know, everything else yeah. doesn't think or doesn't have feelings or doesn't have anything. Yeah. You know, wow. it's it's a it's a it's a tough thing to pick up the the news and and read the the absolute devastating changes in the world around us and and it's it's almost like there's one species that needs to change its perspective. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's just a single species. That's a good way to put it. And actually, there's probably less of that species. You know, when we think, oh, it's it's seven, eight, nine, whatever the billions of humans that there are on this planet, pale in comparison to the billions of other species that are on this planet. But it's only one species that needs to change its approach, and we have these stories that talk about the the stories in Eastern Canada, the Indigenous people. But the relationship—they are our relatives. Those salmon out there in the Salish Sea are our relatives. Mm-hmm. I, I focus a lot on Sandwich North and the Islands. I focus a lot on on Vancouver Island or or BC politics in my role as an as an elected provincial official. Yeah. It's it's hard to believe. It's hard to fathom that Charlie Morris in North Carolina caught hold of our story. Yeah. Uh, out here, and it captured you. And you just imagine how many other thousands of people has this story already captured. Yeah. The sockeye will swim all the way up into the very heart of our Mm. province. So it it captures our entire province. It's a founding industry for our province. And so uh, I'm so glad that you're going to be that you're here capturing that story because it's so important. Uh, And and the effort that we have in trying to um, trying to reverse the course that we're on when it comes to our relationship with salmon, but our relationship to the natural world around us. Is there any final thoughts that you have
0: uh, before we sign off? Well, the thing that clinched it when I wanted to interview you was when I saw the thing where you're speaking to the Legislative Assembly, Mm -hmm. you used your two minutes to read your wife's poem about (laughs) Goodbye Salmon.
1: Remember Saanich North in the Islands? Oh, splendorous sockeye, how can I replace your red flesh offerings, your salty silver scales, How can I dance to your memory, the memory I hold in my cells, the memory I hold in my skin, the memory I hold in my wildness, the part of me that is not human, the part of me that is fish? O splendorous sockeye, I sit at the table of a bountiful ocean, knowing the fasting has begun, knowing that you are more than food, a family within a family that humankind cannot replenish. Sorry, sockeye. Sorry, tree. Sorry, mountain. Sorry, meadow. Wolf. Frog. Sorry, bear. Otter. Sorry, eagle. Sorry, forest floor. Sorry, canopy. Sorry, fungi. Sapling. Fern. Sorry, moss. Sorry, lichen. Sorry, stream lake, ocean, sorry kelp, sorry seal, sorry orca, sorry air, wind, sky, clouds, sorry stars, sorry moon, sorry parents, sorry grandparents, sorry children.
0: person who's using their their speaking (laughs) time to talk about salmon in poetry form but we need people who are willing to go out on the edge like that and i think what politics forces a person into is to be positionless Mm. and and that's a that's a big problem because everyone wants to get reelected, and and we need more people to take a position to say sometimes i have to behave in ways i might not like but here at least is my position Mm. and so that that's why i wanted to come meet you The other thing that
1: happened out of that was the CBC the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation oh, okay. right? the CBC reporter that, that is you know on the beat of the legislature okay. tweeted out after that uh, at Adam P. Olson just stood up in the legislature <laughs> and um, recited a poem I'm not even um, I, I don't know what context it was in, and I'm not even sure if he wrote it. And so then I tweeted back. I said, basically, haven't you been paying attention to the fact that I've been speaking of salmon like every other day in the legislature? Like, can't it be a part of that bigger context? Yeah. That actually, it's about developing and being committed to a narrative that is important, and actually being disruptive. Yeah. And that's what I was. That that's what that was. That's the entire reason why I did that. I wanted to disrupt. Yeah. So I think that we have to get into, and I, and I think that you know your piece and these pieces—they're yeah. all disruption—and we disrupted your life. Yeah. BC yeah. reached out and disrupted Charlie Morris's life, and now you're here. Yeah. And we're thankful for it.
0: This interview is where Adam interviews me, which obviously I'm using as the whole introduction uh, piece here. But later on, in order, on day seven of my stay there on the island, I did finally sit down with a lovely long interview where Adam is the one being asked the questions. Well, it appears we've arrived here together at the end of episode two. I hope you stay with the story. Next up, I land on Vancouver Island for day one of the big trip. Thanks to Jay Siebold for doing the sound engineering and design. I also want to thank Torgeier Vosvik and you can learn more about Torgeier at vosvik.com. That's V-A-S-S-V-I-K.com. I I also want to thank the co-executive producers who helped cover the costs for this episode. And they are Tiala Spitzbarth, Carolyn Weamantry, Chandra Souza, Rhianne Ernest, and John Taylor. And if you'd like to help keep this show going, you too can have your name included in the credits. Any amount donated gets your name put right up on the big board. Just drop by my GoFundMe campaign. Let's keep those wild salmon swimming at salmonfolk.com. You can also offer ongoing support by clicking on the Patreon link there. And the two books mentioned in this episode are under the books link on my website.
4: This is Salmon Folk Radio.